Travels with John Smith, Chapter 37, Year 5, 2016, Part 2, Alice Springs, Uluru, How to Celebrate Your 60th Birthday. It is very hot. We are in Alice Springs, which is a desert town in the middle of Australia. It is equal distance between Adelaide and Darwin. I think I mentioned before that most of the population in Australia is on the coastline, but there are a few very small places in the middle. Surrounded by red, flat earth, Alice Springs is one of the biggest in the center at about 26,000 people. According to the locals, about a third of the population are Aborigine. There are hundreds of different tribes, and it's believed the Aborigine people have lived in Australia for 45,000 years or more. The Aranda tribe are the traditional custodians of Alice Springs. Now, there are many other tribes that also live in Alice Springs. We are staying in a motel in the center of town. There is a swimming pool that attracts a lot of insects here, and we spend some time by the pool, but it is too hot for me. My shins, ankles, and feet are still burnt, so I keep them covered and also have a large sun hat on, but it's easier for me to sit in the shade, which is on average about 40 degrees Celsius. We have walked around town and seen many art galleries where Aborigine art is sold, two malls where there are a few shops and cafes. Next door, there's also a large ice cream shop, which has many different kinds of fresh gelato. So we are sure this will become our most frequented place. We walk up to the hill that overlooks the city, and I guess it's a site that is included in some tours, as after a steep, sweaty walk in a biting sun that you want to run away from, we encounter a large group of tourists getting out of their air-conditioned bus. Alice Springs used to be the jumping-off point for tourists that wanted to see Ayers Rock, or as the Aborigine and other locals call it, Uluru. They would fly or take the very long uh, 54-hour train ride up to Alice Springs from Adelaide. The train they would take is called the Gan, named after the Afghan camels that forged this path. From Alice Springs, it would be a five-hour, 450-kilometer bus ride to get to Uluru, which was a surprise to many tourists as they thought Uluru would be just outside Alice Springs. They still have that option, but now there is an airport and a small cluster of four hotels near Uluru. Some people fly directly from Sydney or Melbourne, so they have no need to go to Alice Springs at all. This has hurt their tourist industry We did want to see it, so we are staying here for a few days on either side of our trip to Uluru. 
Some of the locals are pretty friendly, and in speaking to a couple of them and the taxi drivers we had to and from the airport, it seems the government are finding ways to make it a good place for businesses and work, the standard of living, etc. is good here, so the population is growing. We meet a British woman who is about to embark on the Sleep Under the Stars trip to Uluru, a trip that sounds romantic until you think of the various animals or insects that could slither, sting, and bite their way over you as you slept under the stars. I would not want to be reading the Bill Bryson book that night. Many tourists congregate at the bar connected to the motel on their way through town, along with what appears to be some of the locals stopping by after a day at work. We decide to go to a movie and eat at a restaurant on the way. We choose a restaurant with some interesting choices on the menu. They advertise food from the outback. The outback, or the bush, is usually any place in the middle of Australia that is not a city, as much of it is desolate, flat, with little plant life. The land the Aborigine people have survived on for thousands of years. We try camel and date sausages, crocodile ribs, smoked kangaroo. This will not be the only time we have kangaroo. It is actually a nice lean meat. And bush tomatoes a vegetable found in the outback which is similar to small tomatoes. We are told that picking them ourselves could be dangerous as some varieties contain huge doses of poison. Even though the choices are exotic, everything we eat is mixed and cooked in a kind of Italian style, so generally pretty tasty and probably nothing like the food you would actually eat in the outback or bush. After the movie, we walk home, and the streets are deserted. We get back to the motel, and there's a lock on the gates of both the entrances to the motel. No one is in the front office, and it's dark. There are instructions that say to ring the bell, so we try that, but no one comes and we notice there is a tall fence running all around it, so no way of getting in. After trying a few different things and pounding on the door, someone eventually comes and apologizes, but we learn the place closes up fairly early. We wonder if the town is as friendly at night as it appears in the daytime. I am on a small stage, on the rooftop floor of a bar, under the stars. I'm singing and playing a song I thought I knew well, but I've made a couple of mistakes. The Scottish guy who runs the open mic night comes up and asks me to do a couple more, so I guess I wasn't that bad. He says he came through Alice Springs a few years ago and ended up staying. He says there's a great music and artist community here and it beats the rain and cold of Glasgow. This seems to be a few people's story. While I was sitting by the pool at the hotel, a young, and coincidentally also Scottish, woman started cleaning the pool and told me a similar story. 
She said the pace is slow and the place is quiet and there's good work prospects if you want them. Tomorrow we are taking a plane to Uluru. We have wanted to go there since the first time we were in Australia. It's one of those places you see pictures of, but don't really believe it exists until you are there. It is the symbol and possibly the most recognizable landmark in Australia. It's an extremely large, flat, square rock in the middle of a coral red desert. That's all I know. I thought it was a meteor or something when I was younger, but I haven't really done much research on it. We just want to go there. We walk out onto the balcony of our room and have what we call a blue mosque moment. This is the moment you see something you have been waiting to see that is like a postcard moment. There in the afternoon sun is Uluru in the distance. Our hotel is in a kind of oasis in the desert where there are three other hotels, an area where the staff who work on the resort live, and a campground. There are walkways connecting the hotels and they each have their own restaurants or cafes and there is a very small town center where there is a post office, a couple of tourist shops, a great grocery store, and a tour center where we booked my skydive and the other tours we are doing here. The people that work at the hotels are mostly here for about six months and are mostly young people from other countries. There's nothing to do here other than work. There's very good satellite TV, but other than that, if someone wants to go out somewhere or go shopping or to a movie, they have to drive to Alice Springs, which is about 450 kilometers. The only people who work here and stay longer are the ones with specialty jobs, like the skydivers, etc. It's time, he shouts, while sliding open the plastic hatch that separates us from the cold air outside. He motions for me to turn my body from sitting sideways to slide my feet and legs out the open door, and I feel my stomach lurch at the fear of being sucked out too soon. Above the engine, I hear the air rushing past, my heart beats faster and I slide towards the opening. We are approximately 3,000 meters or 3 kilometers up in the sky. To get up to this height, the plane was traveling at a 90 degree angle from the ground straight up and the hot air from the 42 degree centigrade ground temperature caused a lot of turbulence, jumping and falling with my stomach. There is only room for Sam, the instructor, and myself in the back of the small plane, so we are sitting on the floor with our backs to the pilot. It's so cramped in here, I have to sit between the instructor's legs, which I grab every time the, the plane jumps. I've already grabbed his leg several times, as there's nothing else to grab onto, no handles or anything. Each time I say, sorry, and he says, it's okay, I'm used to it. It is a strange thing to be trusting this person with my life. 
to be sitting in a somewhat intimate, albeit necessary, position with him. Thirty minutes ago, he was a stranger. He told me he has done over 4,000 jumps, that he used to work in Perth and at a place in Cairns where John jumped out of a plane a couple years ago. It doesn't really matter. I won't back out now. Once I made the decision, I knew I would have to do it. With my bottom barely touching the inside, I fold my arms over my chest and place my legs outside, curling them under the body of the plane. I start to say the serenity prayer for the courage I need for the jump. And we're out, falling at the speed of approximately 200 kilometers an hour. I try to keep my mouth closed in case a filling flies out and open my eyes every few seconds as I really want to stay in the moment. At this point, there is a mixture of fear, exhilaration, and freedom. There's another part of me that is cut off from what is happening. This part is my survival mechanism. It has saved me many times in the past when in the middle of a dangerous or difficult situation, but I fight it now. The instructor taps me on the shoulder and tries to get me to wave to the camera. I have forgotten what I'm supposed to do now, so I wave quickly and go back to the comforting position of crossing my arms over my chest. Before the jump, I asked him if having your arms outstretched had any practical purpose, and he said no, it just looks good for the camera, so I guess I choose comfort. I am enjoying the feeling of falling, of letting go. Sam taps me again, pointing, getting me to look around me as we fall. So I do, and it's incredible. I can see for miles all around, but it's all happening so quickly that I can't really take it all in, and then boom, he pulls the cord that releases the parachute, and we are jerked around quite violently in what seems every direction, and the falling stops. Abruptly, the noise of the air rushing past my ears stops, and there is complete quiet as we peacefully drift down and across the sky. I am partly relieved that the falling is over and partly disappointed. Below, the red desert stretches as far as the horizon, apart from some large salt flats on one side that are meant to be the remains of a time millions of years ago when the center of Australia was covered in ocean. From up here, the white salt ground looks hard and beautiful, but I was told you would sink up to your waist in something like quicksand if you attempted to walk on it. We can see Uluru to our right, and I feel a rush of gratitude to be seeing it from this angle. Now I am totally in my body, and I imagine this might be how a bird feels. My heart is in my throat, and all I can say is, wow. It is unbelievable to be up here, seeing all of this, feeling this kind of freedom. It is a feeling of pure joy. Sam motions for me to take one of the canvas loops that steer the parachute in my right hand and the other in my left, and then pulls up on my right hand, right arm, which makes the parachute change course, and we swoop to the left. 
I feel a stab of fear as I am now in control and not sure this is a good idea. The wind is pulling hard at the sail, so he lets me steer for a bit more and takes back the reins to my relief. We are still pretty high up, but I can now see the white van we traveled to the airport in parked down below us, though it is the size of a grain of sand. Sam reminds me of the landing position, which is me holding my legs up from under my knees. Now I feel how fast we are traveling as seconds later I see John below filming and the other people from Skydive Uluru standing back, leaving a space in the middle to land. We come in very quickly and before I know it my bottom touches the earth with red dust flying. Safe! I'm aware of a little pain as I am sure I landed right on my tailbone, but ignore it as the high of exhilaration is much stronger. The expression coming back to earth is quite appropriate here. I've been thinking about the possibility of doing a skydive for some time. When I was younger, I used to say I would wait till I was older, so if something went wrong, I would have already had a good life. I felt some regret that I didn't jump out of the plane when John did the first time we were in Australia, and vowed that if I had the opportunity again, I would do it. Since I just turned 60, I thought this would be a good way of celebrating that, and the opportunity was here, so... Feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm -hmm.